We are into uh, the next part of our path um, uh, messages uh, based on the path guide. And if you haven't got a path guide, I was supposed to bring one up with me, but they're out there. If you haven't got one, I'd encourage you to pick one up as you go, because the path guide is our focus this year on discipleship. We're looking at how we as individuals and as a church can grow in our faith because we talked about that the call that God gives us, the call that we see throughout Scripture is a call not just to be an observer of what God is doing or be an observer of other people growing in faith, but the call that God gives us is for each one of us to be disciples, to be people who, whose lives are shaped and built um, by following Christ. And so we're up to the next part in the discipleship um, path. Uh, it's this acronym of PATH. If we can pop that up on the screen, we are up to the H, the very last, the first part of the last part. Uh, and we are looking at this idea of helping God's family. So this week I'm going to um, share on fellowship. In two weeks' time after Easter, Pastor James will be talking about the church. But if you look in your path guides, it says this under uh, helping God's family. It said, God did not just save us from sin. He saved us out of sin to be part of his family. We each have a role to play in building up that family. And it is through that very community that God sharpens us, that God sharpens us. Now, this word fellowship, this first focus of discipleship uh, that we're going to be looking at, this, this idea, it's a really churchy word. I don't think I've ever been hanging out with non-church people and had any of them use the word fellowship. I just don't actually think that it's out there. I don't think it's used. Um, and, and we often think about these cliches that we talk about in church almost being a little bit inaccessible for non-church people. They kind of come into a service um, to, to find out what's going on, which is amazing. And we're always so thrilled when they do. And they hear us use all these phrases and all these words that are a little bit um, inaccessible, a little bit maybe cliche. But what I'd say to you is that fellowship stands apart from that because it actually is a unique function of the body of Christ. I wonder if the reason why it's just not really out there in, in our society more broadly is because fellowship, this idea, we're going to look at it today, actually finds a unique place within the church. It comes from the Greek word of koinonia, and it's most often throughout um, the New Testament translated as fellowship, sharing, or communion. And we're going to look at that in a little bit more depth. But this morning, I wanted to do something a little bit different. You'll see some chairs up here. Looks like we're going to play musical chairs. The kids always have a game to start, so I thought, why not us too? Um, but I'm actually going to ask a couple of people um, in the church uh, who have been a part of different kind of fellowship um, in the church to come out. And so Stephanie and Lisa and Joel, there you are, to so come on out and I'm going to ask them a couple of questions. So one of the things, so before we get on to this like, theological underpinning, what does the Bible say about fellowship, why it's important, I thought I'd get um, this crew to, to come up and to share a little bit about how fellowship has looked in, in their walk. One of the key ways that we uh, do fellowship as a church is through our connect groups. And all three of these are in um, a couple of different connect groups. But I'm going to start with you, Joel. You've been recently um, uh, leading a connect group online, which has just started this year. Can you just share what's that been like? I mean, apart from this last week with the internet being out, but what else? <laughs> no, it's been fantastic. So... Um we live out of town, so 
it's been good to be part of an online connect group and um, it just means that we start at eight o'clock instead of 7.30. So a uh, couple of the, uh, the, the group have um, kids there who have stuff happening. They need to drop them off or pick them up or uh, doggy training or, you know, there's a bunch of stuff. So um, we start at eight and we just chat for a while and go on. It's been fantastic. Um, to connect because it just means you can do it from the comfort of your home. There's a few of us that have uh, been able to do it um, quite regularly and it's been fantastic, really enjoying it. Um, yeah, and because a few of us have little dogs, we get to see each other's dogs, which you normally wouldn't be able to bring to a connect group. Um. <laughs> so. I'm going to follow up there. Um, you and Sharon, and most of you in the church will know Sharon and Joel, but you guys love connecting with people. I've always marveled at the fact that Sharon and Joel can be going through the checkout at Woolies and have the, uh, the shop assistant over to their house for dinner. That's how <laughs> engaging they are, how relational they are. But thinking broadly then, how has um, uh, that connection with people within church fellowship been really important for you guys in, in growing in your faith? Um, we've been able to talk about different things, share each other's uh, experiences, um, pray for each other, um, look at each other's views on certain topics that we've been dealing, um, looking at, like uh, we missed prayer last week, but uh, we'll catch up, Uh, but like talking about evangelism or service and um, seeing each other's perspectives and supporting each other in prayer has been a big thing for us. And then seeing the person the next week asking, how did that go? Um, uh, were you, did, did it work out? You know, is there more prayer needed? And just supporting each other has been fantastic. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. All right, Lisa, to you. So you guys have, uh, you and Tristan have been kind of doing two things, which one has been, you've been in a connect group at Luke and Katie's place, although I know with COVID and stuff, that's probably uh, been been on hold a little bit recently, but you've also been leading Rise, which is our young adults, uh, like older teens group. Um, can you share, like, I guess the, the great thing that I've seen with you and Tristan is that fellowship is just what you do. You, are, you guys just immerse yourself within it. And I know that when you joined the church, like you were straight into those kinds of things. How have you seen that be significant in your faith journey? Yes, so we, we do take care of the older youth. And as you can see, we've taken up the whole back row because we're rebels. So it, it keeps us young. It keeps us cool, I think, maybe. I don't know. I don't think I've been cool a day in my life, to be honest. But um, it's just so encouraging because they come around every week and in their words, it's like a family. So hi, family. Um, they're just so encouraging to be around because they are young and they have energy and they have great questions and we can actually see their faith making a difference um, and It keeps us engaged and encouraged. Um, I think, think, yeah, we just get a lot more from it than they do probably. Um, And so Tuesday nights, our place, we've got a brand new person that's coming along. She came today and we've already nabbed her. So, um, yeah, it's just so encouraging. So if you're not a part of a Bible study, um, I couldn't encourage it more because I think I know that my faith... Um, if I don't become part of things, it's so easy for me to just be a bit complacent and a bit like, oh, yeah, I'll turn up to church on a Sunday. But by having church and church people on a Tuesday and on a Thursday and a Sunday, it just really keeps my faith fresh 
and alive. That is so good. That is so good. Okay, Stephanie, over to you. Um, you've done both over the years. You've been in connect groups that are in person. You've been now in, in an online one. Um, I want to ask you, how have you seen the smaller group fellowship that comes through those, those spaces effective in your faith? Um, for me, I think it's really where the rubber hits the road. So you get the teaching on um, Sunday and that can be really instructional as well. And obviously the, some of the um, Bible study elements of the Connect group. But um, I think it's where you start to put it into practice and really start to see how things work and, um, you know, what you're struggling with, what life's actually happening and how we can share what's actually happening. And um, you can be authentic and, you know, share your struggles and say, oh, okay. And then someone else can say, oh, yeah, you know, I had that happen to me. You know, have you thought about X or Y? Or when Joel was saying, you know, um, you know, just even remembering, you know, what we prayed about, you know, a fortnight before or a week before or whatever is just incredible as well. You know, it just makes you feel like somebody actually cares and that you're not doing it alone because they actually do care. So, yeah. That's awesome. And one last follow-up for you. Um, Stephanie's been in the church for a lot of years, and, and you would, I mean, you've been here for almost that whole journey, and when there was, what, six, five or six of us, and less in the congregation than the few of us that was at the front, and you've kind of um, been, you know, connecting with people along that way. So how do you see, apart from connect groups, obviously, how do you see, how, how do you find fellowship in the congregation? Um, I think for me, this is quite an authentic place, like it's a safe place. And if you are in a connect group or you're just talking to somebody, I think you've got that level of um, confidentiality as well um, from people that genuinely actually care. And I think um, there's no judgment. That's And I think, you know, outside these walls and outside of, you know, fellowship groups or connect groups or whatever, you've got that whole rat race thing where everyone's trying to compete with everybody and everyone's trying to get the best car and, you know, promoted at work and, you know, uh, stamp on people to try and get ahead, all that kind of stuff. And it's not like that here. Um, it's uh, trying to put people first and trying to put God's values first. And I think because you come in at that base where you, you do have a faith and you do have a respect for other people and there is authenticity, you can be yourself and you can... Um, just put aside all the hassles of the world and, it, and you actually have a place where you kind of get refreshed and renewed um, to refocus before going back out and dealing with the rat race. Awesome. Now, these guys didn't see the notes of my sermon, but they've pretty much just preached it for me, which, how good is that? But let's give them a round of applause. Thanks so much, guys. That was awesome. How good is that? Thanks for sharing, and it's, it sounds so good when it comes from people who haven't been prepped on what to say, and uh, so we really appreciate it. I'm going to just share briefly now over the next about 15 minutes what the Bible says about fellowship. We've seen it where, as Stephanie said, the rubber hits the road. That, that's the reality of the, the um, walk of faith that we are each pursuing. But what does the Bible say? Why is this unique? Why is this significant in the life of a Christian? And I remember um, uh, hearing someone was asked, I can't remember who they were, but they were asked, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who was a brand new Christian, someone who had just discovered Christ, had given their heart to him, what would you say to them? And they said, first and foremost, find a Bible-believing church and build your life around it. Find a Bible-believing church 
and build your life around it. Now, I wonder how that idea sits with you because um, it is so easy for church to be um, an add-on, that we have our life built and then we tack church onto the side. And, and not that there aren't um, times where we're just kind of working things out and sussing things out and those kinds of things, but I know I've seen in my life the truth and the blessing uh, that comes through finding a Bible-believing church and then building my life around it. And so you see at the start of Scripture that God has designed us as people to be in relationship. He's designed us as people who need community. You might remember the book of Genesis, um, God is creating, and each time He creates something, Scripture tells us that He saw that it was good. And the very first place that He sees something that is not good is in Genesis 2.18, where it says in, in the passage, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And we see this principle of relationship, this principle of connection outworked all throughout Scripture. This need for us not to be individuals, not to be um, people who are trying to battle through life on our own, but rather to be people that are in community, people that are connected with others. And the reality of that is so apparent in the Gospels when we see this idea, this Greek word of koinonia, of fellowship used to describe the richness that comes through the body of Christ and through the fellowship of believers. You see, in Acts 2, and the best place to go, I think if we want to look at what this looks like, is Acts 2. Because we see no better summary than the emergence of the early church as they begin to meet together, as they begin to connect together, as they be begin to fellowship together. And so if you've got your Bibles there, uh, Acts 2.42, um, otherwise the words are on the screen, it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This idea of koinonia is translated as fellowship there. Uh, we see it in the New Testament 20 times. And the kind of broad definition of it is holding something in common. And so when we explore the pattern of where this word is used, and I'd encourage you, uh, we don't have time this morning, but maybe go home and make that part of your private study this week. If you look at where this word is used, a really clear pattern emerges. A really clear pattern of koinonia, of fellowship, emerges because what it does is it describes the unity that comes through a group of people with shared beliefs, convictions and purpose getting together. And it describes the genuinely deep relationship and unity that forms when each of us um, get together in fellowship, in koinonia, and that allows us to live out God's plan and purpose for our lives. And so if we look at Acts 2, I thought I'd lead us through just some really quick points this morning about what that looks like in a practical sense. The first thing is that fellowship is for everyone who follows Christ. Fellowship is for everyone who follows 
Christ. The church, the fellowship that comes through being connected with church community is not a tack on, it's not an optional extra. It is for everyone who follows Christ. Now, you might have heard pastors say that in the past and you might have thought, oh, of course they're going to say that. They just want more people there at church on a Sunday. It is not the reality at all. And that's never, our church has never been about numbers or anything, anything like that. It has always been about each one of us being empowered to live out the life that God has called us to. But if you want to uh, be a serious disciple of Christ, then you need to be in fellowship. Acts 2 says this exact thing um, back in verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves, not some of them, all of them. And in 44, it says, and all the believers met together in one place. Now, you might be thinking it's the early church. It's not that many of them. It's obviously not too hard. They're probably friends. But there were 120 of them. But then Peter gets up and preaches the most incredible sermon of all time at uh, at Pentecost. And he gives this compelling sermon. And it tells us that 3,000 people were saved and baptized. So when it says all, it isn't talking about a small group of friends. It is talking about all of these people who had come to know Christ. They all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They all devoted themselves to the other practices and all of them met together. Now, I, um, uh, uh, there's no judgment here. I think we had that set up the front. But lots of people will use, and not people here, we're thinking about other people, will use excuses to get out of fellowship. Lots of people use excuses to get out of fellowship. You might have heard people say, oh, I love God but I just don't love the church. I don't love organised religion. I love God though, and so I'm just living my Christian life outside of the church. You might have heard people say that. That is not a biblical stance at all. There is nothing in Scripture that will support that idea. You might have people say, oh, look, I've looked at lots of churches and I just can't find one that suits me. And that can be a really hard thing. It is difficult to find a church. That is a difficult thing because you want to feel welcome. You want to feel connected. You want to feel a part of the community. It might be that people have upset them in the past. And I've had people say, oh, look, I love church, but I just can't go there because I've just been hurt too many times. And I don't want to be glib about that at all because there is genuine hurt that comes when we get together in our sinful selves and we can really hurt one another. We can say things that are, that are harsh and mean and all those kinds of things because we are, uh, we are sinful people pursuing a perfect God. And so there will be hurt and there will be upset. But again, Scripture does not at any point say that that is a good reason for not being in fellowship and not being in church. The principle is clear that if you want to live a fulfilled Christian life in step with God's plan for you, then you need to press into fellowship beyond the hurt, beyond the organised religion aspect of it, which gets lots of things wrong, beyond the personal taste. You have to press into fellowship. Fellowship is dynamic. Uh, Verse 46 gives us this structure of their fellowship and it is that they worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. You see, there are two types of fellowship that are presented to us in this passage. The first one is that they gather in the temple. They gather in the temple. This is where they come together to hear the apostles teaching and for that corporate communal worship of God. And it also says that they met together in homes, that they met together in homes. And these two types of fellowship serve different but complementary functions. 
The first one that they met together in the temple, or we might call it church services. No one's ever called this hall the temple, but we might call it a church service. They met together in that large group so they could hear the teaching of the word, so that they could be a part of the Bible being opened and that inspiration and instruction that comes when someone has prepared a message or a word to share with the the group of believers. It it equips us for... um, The truth of the kingdom, it places us in an environment where we're surrounded by others and where we're lifting up our voices and worshipping God. But by its very nature, it's less participation. We don't have a QA, and a We don't have a, um, you know, less opportunity on a Sunday morning for each one of us to consider or to be supported in working out how that message is actually outworked in our lives. And that's where, and this is what Um, Lisa and Joel and Stephanie shared, it is the other type of fellowship which is there that they met in houses, which is the less formal, it's the more unstructured type of fellowship. It's the type of fellowship that provides an opportunity for us to consider what is this word, what does God's word look like in my life? How do I marry up what God's word says in this really difficult season I'm walking through? How do I press into this group of people who will pray for me, who will care for me, who will drop meals around to my house, who will um, be there through the good and the bad? It opens up the vulnerability that comes through close relationship, the opportunity to share the the deepest and the most um, upsetting or difficult parts of our lives. And you see what the the early Christians knew was it wasn't an either or model. It wasn't that they just did the big group or they just did the small group. There were elements of both in the early church. There were elements of both in the early church because they both have a unique and complementary place in the life of a Christian. The next point, if you're taking notes, is that Christian fellowship is contagious. Now, that's a, that's a risky thing to say in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I don't mean coming to church is... is <laughs> oh, anyway, I should probably stop that now before we get ourselves in trouble. But it, it's, a Christian fellowship is contagious. What does the passage tell us in verse 47? It says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You see, the Acts 2 community was an eclectic mix. It had young and it had the old wealthy and it had the poor, Um, it had the healthy and it had the sick. And as the community grows through that first part of Acts, it becomes clear that it's not just diverse in those ways, it's also culturally diverse. It now has the Jew and it has the Gentile, it has the Roman citizen and it has the foreigner. You see, the thing that stands out about Christian fellowship and Christian community is the fact that it is diverse. It has the young and the old, it has the sick and the healthy, it has the um, the, the person who was born in Canberra and the person who was born overseas. And there is something beyond similarities in our personalities or in our interests or tastes that binds us together. The thing that binds us together is the love that we have for one another, empowered by the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done in our hearts. And it also has the role that we can play in serving one another. 
Some of the richest relationships I've had in church and I have seen in church have come from people who the world would have said that they, there is no way those two people should be friends. There is nothing in common about them. One is young and one is old. They are so different. One has got all the degrees under the sun and one has none of them. Um, one is wealthy and one is poor. The richness of fellowship comes not in what is similar between us, but often what is different. Because... The power of the Holy Spirit transforms our hearts, knits us together in unity. And lastly, fellowship has a purpose. Fellowship has a purpose. You see, fellowship enables us to be part, to be a functioning part of the body. When we are saved, we are not saved just so that we can go about our life with no change, but we are saved to be changed and we are saved to be part of the body. We are saved to serve and to bless others. But in doing so, I can absolutely guarantee that is the place where you'll find the greatest fulfillment in your life. When you are using your God-given gifts to bless other people, there is nothing more fulfilling than that. You see, fellowship also has the purpose of enabling us to be in a place that we know that God blesses. And I'm not just talking about Horizon Church. God has blessed this church, but I am talking about the fact that Scripture tells us over and over and over again that where there is unity, that God commands a blessing. And it is not just one verse or one part of Scripture, but we see God blesses when the body of Christ is functioning and He blesses the people within it. Psalm 133 tells us this. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like a precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if a Jew, the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at uh, when Jesus is, is put to the test and he, and he gives, um, uh, the Pharisees ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And he, and he tells them, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is blessing that comes when we are living out those commandments, when we're together, we are spurring one another on to love the Lord with all of our hearts and minds and souls, but also where we are loving our neighbours as ourselves. And we see a practical outworking of that in the Acts 2 church. They were preferring other people over themselves. They were giving their money away to serve those in need. And what an incredible thing that is, and God blesses it. And the other thing is that the purpose of fellowship, and you heard Lisa and Joel and Stephanie, I think all of them reflected on it, that the purpose of fellowship is that it helps us to navigate the pressures of the world. It helps us to navigate the pressures of the world. You see, the Acts 2 church had rocky times ahead. We see in Acts 2 that some of the people are mocking them. They think it's kind of funny what they're doing. In Acts 4, that mocking has turned to persecution, where they're actually now being punished. In, in um, Acts 5, the believers are now being thrown in prison. And in Acts chapter 8, the persecution has got so bad that the church, these thousands of people, has now scattered all over the country. You see... The fellowship that had been established at this point, these models of fellowship, 
gave them comfort, gave them hope, gave them encouragement when everyone else was out to get them. When everyone else was out to get them, they found spiritual and practical support in fellowship. And I'd say to you this morning, well, we're probably very low risk of being thrown in prison unless you do something really dopey. We're probably at very low risk of that kind of uh, persecution that would make us flee. Uh, to different corners of the country. But I'd say to you that we actually have a pressure upon us that is probably more dangerous to our eternity than people trying to throw us in prison. And that is the complacency that each of us battles and faces as part of this society. You see, we're surrounded by a world where lots of things seem alluring. We are surrounded by a world where lots of things sound true. We're immersed in a society that is so fast-paced, where we are committed to so many things. There are so many obligations and, and pulls on our time, where our days and our nights fill up. We are so surrounded by a world that says that we have to be doing all of these things to be happy and to be fulfilled. And you see, or not, not, those things are not necessarily bad. You know, I run the, my little kids around from this to that, to, to, the, to the various things. And, and just in life, each of us have got things that we, we're committed to that we need to do. But often we have to be so careful that that does not cause complacency in our faith. And I'd say to you, it's not a particularly new pressure. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold fast to the, the confession of our hope, without wavering. What's the writer to the Hebrews saying? Don't get complacent. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, Scripture says to us, pleads to us, do not give up on fellowship. Do not let your life get so all-consumed and all so busy that fellowship takes a back seat. Because in fellowship, it will not only help you to remain strong and, and connected in your faith, but there is a role for you to play, which is to consider how you can stir one another to love and to good works. To consider how you can be a part of that, to consider how you might, in little ways and in big ways, be the person who helps somebody else bear the pressures of life. How you might be being called by God to be that person who journeys alongside someone who is in a season of trouble, who is in a season of trial. How you might, through maybe practical things, but also through your prayer life, actually serve another person or other people. And that is the purpose of fellowship, is to calling us to not only hold on to the hope that we have in Christ, but to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another as we walk this journey. And so I'd say to you, I am, promise I am wrapping up now. We've gone a little bit over time. But as we wrap up, we look at these steps of the path. And it's in your books and there's QR codes and you can have a look at them later. But discern. Ask yourself this week, what place does fellowship have in my life? Have we built, have I built the patterns and the rhythms of faith around fellowship with believers or around something else? And that's a question we all need to ask ourselves from time to time. 
Is, there a, is this a space that God might be calling me to grow in? And the path will give you a step-by-step kind of guide on and how you can, you can set to grow in this area. And the second part of that is to learn. And I'd encourage you at a very um, first point, why don't you go to the New Testament? You can do a Google search and look at where koinonia is mentioned. Look at where uh, Scripture speaks on fellowship. There are so many books out there. There's lots of articles and, and messages. And if you want some of those, I can share them with you. Bonhoeffer wrote this very famous book called Life Together. And if you're a Bonhoeffer fan or maybe you've never come across his, his work, I'd encourage you to read that one. And the last part of that before, uh, as we wrap up, is practice, is practice. Now, fellowship is a practical thing. Fellowship is a practical thing. And it might mean that as you examine over the next couple of weeks the rhythms and the patterns of your life, whether a fellowship is prioritized or whether it's something that you're connected with and in on, then maybe it is that you need to make some tweaks and some changes. And maybe um, one of those can be asking someone over for a meal. Maybe one of it could be is joining a connect group. There's three of them running and, and they would love to have more people connect. Maybe another way to do it is to join a team and serve on a team. I know our kids' leaders are often sharing messages with one another during the week and, and um, they, they get to chat and pray and, and serve one another. I know our worship team, that's a lot of fun as well if that's your skill, if that's in your wheelhouse. Um, there is other ways that you can do it. Maybe it's as simple as getting the path and getting together with one or two others and just starting to meet every now and then for a coffee to to encourage one another as you pursue Christ together. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the Acts 2 church. We thank you that in, in the face of persecution and trouble and trial, Lord God, that they established this pattern of fellowship. Lord, we thank you that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Enable them to see beyond their differences and to connect together with one another and bear one another's burdens. And and as they face troubles and trial, that they could care and love one another. And Lord God, we just pray that you would um, enable each one of us to do that. That you would enable each one of us to serve uh, other people, to connect, Lord God, to see the richness and the purpose in fellowship. Father, that you would empower us to bear one another's burdens in love and consider how we may spur one another on in love and good works because that is the richness of this body, the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to examine our lives. Lord, where we have pushed maybe fellowship to the side and, Lord, maybe because of that we're really struggling. Father, that you would help us to tweak and adjust and and change and, and really prioritize the meeting together that comes when we, when we are connected with the body. And so, Lord, we just pray this in your name. Amen.